Thank you for listening to this podcast on the role of inflammation in the treatment of diabetic macular edema. This podcast is sponsored by Alamira Sciences, the makers of Alluvian. Alluvian provides consistent, continuous treatment of DME for up to 36 months. Patient results discussed in this podcast illustrate positive outcomes using Alluvian in an actual patient. Results may vary across patients. Illuvian, fluocinolone acetonide intravitreal implant, 0.19 mg, is indicated for the treatment of diabetic macular edema, DME, in patients who have been previously treated with a course of corticosteroids and did not have a clinically significant rise in intraocular pressure. Illuvian should not be used in patients who have advanced glaucoma or have an active or suspected infection in or around the eye. The most common side effects reported in patients with diabetic macular edema who were treated with Illuvian include cataracts, Illuvian 82%, sham 50%, and increased eye pressure, Illuvian 34%, sham 10%. For more detailed safety information on Illuvian, please go to hcp.illuvian.com. Now, on to the podcast. We hope that you find it enjoyable and informative. Now I think what we'd like to do is proceed with the second part of our podcast. And how does this low-grade inflammation, this chronic low-grade inflammation, really play into what we see in our patients as it determines clinical outcomes? So, Christina Mito, we, we had a very in-depth conversation in the first part of this uh, series of podcasts about the pathophysiology of inflammation and how it plays into DME. Perhaps now... Uh, I can ask you guys a few questions as to why you think this is important when we see our uh, patients. So, Christina, I'll ask you, how many patients or do you have patients where you feel like you treat with anti-VEGF and for some reason there's still persistent fluid there? And, and why do you think that is and how does inflammation play a role in that? Absolutely, Jorge. So we all do. And I absolutely have more patients than I would ever like who definitely continue to have persistent DME, even after monthly anti-VEGF injections. And that's really the greatest frequency in general that we treat our patients with. So that absolutely highlights the point that there are more factors involved other than just VEGF in this disease state. And that matches what we saw from large trials. You don't have to take my word for it. The DRCR retina networks protocol T between a third and two thirds of patients. And these are very compliant patients or trial patients, the best we got, right? They had persistent DME past the six month point, past 24 weeks. And so that is definitely not a small proportion. That is a significant proportion of our patients where DME is sitting there. And I know mention, uh, Mitchell had mentioned this in the first portion of our podcast, but we have learned more and more that diabetic macular edema sitting for a long period of time or fluctuating greatly in the macula can contribute to limited visual prognosis, even if eventually you do get that fluid dry. And back to the point that I made earlier about not necessarily urgency or emergency uh, um, when you see DME, but that it is time sensitive and we have to acknowledge it. So um, absolutely, I have patients like that. And it makes you realize that we may need to turn to other types of therapy for those patients with persistent DME. And one of those classes of therapies, of course, is steroids. 
steroids are great because they not only target VEGF, and they do target VEGF as well, but they also target a slew of other inflammatory mediators that we know are involved in the pathogenesis of DME, including IL-6, including MCP-1, including ICAM-1. These are all important to be able to also target in order to get a more complete response. Yeah, I agree. So, you know, I think when we're talking about leakage and we're just talking about persistent fluid, uh, as you mentioned, VEGF plays a very minor role. And, and in a way, just addressing VEGF is like trying to patch a leaky pipe, whereas perhaps in addition to that, you should consider turning off the faucet. And I think that that's how dealing with inflammation helps uh, because we know that, sure, VEGF disrupts the uh, blood retina barrier, but uh, what leads to that initial disruption is, is inflammation. And so I think that, you know, that's why we see this persistent fluid. And maybe, Mithal, I can turn to you. Uh, Christina touched upon this, but, you know, in addition to getting rid of fluid, we want to try to get rid of fluid, uh, not only in a timely fashion and in a complete fashion, but, you know, what about those patients where they've been on chronic persistent anti-VEGF therapy, and we know from uh, post hoc analysis of protocol I that there is these, quote unquote, you know, late responders where eventually you dry that fluid up, but they don't have great vision. Uh, you know, is it perhaps that inflammation is playing a role there? Uh, so it's not just about edema uh, and dealing with persistent edema, as Christina is mentioning, but perhaps there's some other role that inflammation plays in what we see as the final visual outcome. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, because the chronic inflammation is directly damaging neural tissues. Uh, and the neural tissues are not just the photoreceptors, as I mentioned in the previous podcast. Uh, there's all the inner retinal cells. The Mueller cells in particular produce a lot of inflammatory cytokines that then feed back to damage more neural tissue. And the end goal of all this is really to improve their vision. So if we can improve the vision of our patients, by preventing chronic damage from chronic inflammatory cytokine from attacking the, the neural tissues in the eye, including reactive oxygen species, in addition to the cytokines, that is really gonna lead to a longer term, better visual outcome for these patients. In addition, we also have to think about the fact that we're not the only doctor they're seeing, right? They can't spend their lives in our offices because in addition to seeing us, these patients often are seeing the cardiologists and they're seeing the endocrinologists and the primary care and the orthopedic surgeons uh, and all these other doctors that they're trying to, to deal with because diabetes affects every part of their body. So if we can have a kind of a chronic, longer-term, constant treatment protocol that we can give them without having to have them come to our office every four weeks, that leads to better vision for our patients, then we should probably do that. Can I add one more thing? Um, going back to our earlier question too, Jorge, I think one of the fascinating things to me is thinking about what drives DME in these patients. So how come some patients seem to be primarily VEGF driven and respond great and completely to anti-VEGF monotherapy, but then other patients seem to have a larger inflammatory component? And we don't understand why that is yet, but I find that fascinating because we used to think that as you know, standing the disease that the patient had, it became, it sort of shifted into a more inflammatory disease. And I definitely think that there's still evidence to point to that. So someone who's had long-standing DME for 10 years, they may respond to steroids in addition to VEGF or in replacement of VEGF, more so than a patient who's newly diagnosed. But it's not as simple as that. I, I truly believe there's also certain 
maybe genotypic or, or just individual differences that exist between people that determine what sort of fraction is contributed to by VEGF versus these other inflammatory mediators. And very well, that probably shifts over time too. Yeah, I completely agree. And, you know, it's funny as um, I hear you guys so eloquently speak about uh, the pathophysiology and now in the second podcast, talking a little bit more about how that translates into what we see clinically. Uh, it, it's interesting that the pathophysiology does play into what we see clinically because uh, to your point, Christina, yes, I think that there is certain patients that probably have a, a more inflammatory component than others, and that may be patient specific. But, uh, you know, I sense that if we look at the cascade, that the longer that this edema is present, not only is that edema damaging the cells in and of itself structurally, but it is sort of like the canary in the mine. It's, it's, it's a signal to the fact that this uh, fire is still smoldering. Uh, and because it feeds back on itself, uh, you know, the inflammatory component becomes more and more important with chronic edema. And if we can look back and we can say, hey, maybe uh, not only is it important to address it at this end stage, certainly, in patients that have diffuse you know, chronic edema, but if we were to address it earlier, could we, could we prevent uh, you know, some of this vision loss? Uh, because you know, we know that in patients, even when we dry them up completely, uh, they may continue to suffer ischemia, as you alluded to in the first podcast, and then they may continue to, to have suboptimal uh, vision response. So I think everything can't be measured uh, just based on the OCT. Uh, we have to start thinking about this is an inflammatory disease and the role that uh, controlling this inflammation and neuroinflammation could have, uh, even if we can't directly measure it through OCT. And I think you guys both really hit it on the head because at the end of the day, even though we use OCT to guide our management decisions in DME, at the end of the day, what matters to us and the patients, honestly, is what their visual acuity is. And I think that we have partly answered that question already, Jorge. I mean, if you look at the rise and ride clinical trials at year two after crossover, you know, the patients, even though the ones from Sham ended up getting treated with anti-VEGF with ranibizumab, they never caught up to the other patients who had been treated earlier on and had been receiving ranibizumab the whole time. And so I think what that really points to is that time does matter. And if you leave a long lapse where patients are sitting with DME on their maculas, you will suffer damage and they will trade off vision. The scary part about it is you never know what you don't see. So you don't know that they could have had greater potential. All we see is that these end-stage patients sometimes with uh, less visual acuity than what we would hope. Great. So I think that was a very interesting discussion taking us uh, now in the second podcast from pure pathophysiology to translating how that pathophysiology informs and impacts clinical outcomes. So I hope that you can join us for the third uh, portion of our podcast where we really get into the nitty gritty of clinical care and try to use the points made in the first two parts to talk a little bit about how uh, this uh, group uses uh, steroids and particularly uh, Alluvian to treat our patients with diabetic macular edema. Thank you.